Alhamdulillahi Rabbil Alameen wa salatu wa salamu ala abdillahi wa rasoolih Nabiina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'een Amma ba'd Two statements of a Shaykh Nathaymeen Do you remember when Shaykh al-Islam He said Hatha wa idha lam yakun thalika al-hadi al-zahir Illa mubahan mahtan Law tajarrada an mushabahatihim He said this is all even if What you looked at is completely permissible Except for the fact that it <coughs> Except for the fact that it is copying the non-Muslims. Sheikh bin Athimin said, he said, وَانْظُرِ الْآنِ فِي الْأَسْوَاقِ تَجِدِ النَّاسِ فِي غَيْرِ بِلَادِنَا لَا تَدْرِي أَمُسْلِمٌ هُوَ أَوْ كَافِرٌ لِأَنَّ زِيَ وَاحِدٌ فَلَا تَمَيُّزُ بَيْنَهُ فَلَا, تمي فلا تَمَيُّزَ بَيْنَهُمَا ما عنه في عصور الإسلام أن يره المضيئة كان أهل الذمة لا بد أن يتميزوا عن المسلمين في كل شيء حتى إذا كانت الألبسة من خصائص المسلمين منعوا منها وحتى في المركوب لا بد أن يتميزوا عنهم ولكن ولكن الله المستعان. He said look today. In the, in the market You find people in other countries And he means outside of Saudi You don't know whether this person is Muslim or non-Muslim Because the dress is one And there's no way to separate the Muslim from the non-Muslim He said in the, in the golden age of Islam Ahlul Dhimma Any the non-Muslims living in the Muslim lands Had to wear different clothing And even and in everything, even what they would write, they, they had to distinguish themselves from the Muslims in everything. We're going to hear that Umar did not allow them to resemble the Muslims. And Umar forbade Ahlul Dhimma, the, the non-Muslims living under Muslim protection, from resembling the Muslims at all. Then the Sheikh brings the issue of wearing trousers, and it's very important what he said. He said, He said, it depends on the place where you live. He said, in some Muslim countries, they only wear trousers. Therefore, this is not copying the kuffar. وفي بعض البلاد الإسلامية لا يعرفونه أبدا إلا إذا كان من الأجانب. In some countries, the only thing they know is if you wear trousers, you're not a Muslim. He said, فهو حين إذن فهو حين إذن يكون تشبه. Therefore, in this situation, it is resembling the kuffar. This is a very big faida the Sheikh gave. That depending on the situation, we might rule something to be resembling the non-Muslims in a certain country that we don't rule it to be resembling non-Muslims in another country. So for example, there are some countries where, and this also will help you with fatawa from the people of knowledge. Sometimes you might hear a fatwa about clothing, about behavior, and you find it very strange. You have to understand the Sheikh is speaking about what is known in their country. And for example, you might hear from the, the senior people of knowledge say that for a woman to cut her hair at all is tashabbuh bil kuffar. 
Like if she cuts her hair in any single way, she resembles the kuffar. Taib, is that in every country? No, that is in that, any the sheikh is speaking about that particular situation. And what we know in our country is that if a woman cuts her hair, that she's in this, we only know it from the non-Muslims. For you can't apply that ruling to the whole Muslim world. You can only apply that ruling to the place where that particular issue is considered tashabbuh if, if it's not from the things that are mansus, that are specifically mentioned in the sharia. As for what is specifically mentioned in the sharia, you have no, no option for it, right? But we're talking about something that's not mentioned in the sharia. Like in, in one country, then it's only known from the non-Muslims. And in the other country, it's Muslims wear it. Rather, the Muslims don't wear anything else. Like we mentioned some countries where the Muslims, hatta the tulab al-ilm, wear trousers and shirt. And, and that's, that is what the students of knowledge wear. In other countries, wearing that is only known from the non-Muslims. So you have to take those issues into account. There's a benefit I wanted to read you. <clears throat> I will mention the page numbers. The page numbers I'm mentioning because I'm now going fast are the page numbers of the Sharh of Sheikh bin Thaymeen, the one that's 840 something pages. On page 43, in the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, لِأَلَّا يَكُونَ لِلنَّاسِ عَلَيْكُمْ حُجَّةٌ إِلَّا الَّذِينَ, إلا الذين ظَلَمُوا مِنْهُمْ so that the people don't have a proof over you except those who are oppressive among them. Sheikh, Sheikh Islam rahimahullah ta'ala, he said, قَالَ غَيْرُ وَاحِدٍ مِنَ السَّلَفِ مَعْنَاهُ لِأَلَّا يَحْتَجَّ الْيَهُودُ عَلَيْكُمْ بِالْمُوَافَقَةِ فِي الْقِبْلَةِ He said, more than one of the salaf said, the meaning of this ayah is, so that the Jews don't use it against you that you follow their qibla. What I wanted to take from this is, Yani the Yahud, they said, you're following our Qibla. And they used it against the Prophet minhum. They said, Hum Quraysh. What did Quraysh say? Yani Adu ila Qiblatina Fayushiku and Yaudu ila Dinina. Quraysh said, oh, they've gone back to our Qibla. Maybe they're going to come back to our religion now. The point here is there's a very... Be, yani, 
يعني there's a, a benefit the Sheikh mentioned on the next page. He said, وَمَعْلُومٌ أَنَّ هَذَا الْمَعْنَى ثَابِتٌ فِي كُلِّ مُخَالَفَةٍ أَوْ وَمُوَافَقَةٍ فَإِنَّ الْكَافِرَ إِذَا تُبِعَ فِي شَيْءٍ مِنْ أَمْرِهِ كَانَ لَهُ فِي الْحُجَّةِ مِثْلَ مَا كَانَ أَوْ قَرِيبٌ مِمَّا كَانَ لِلْيَهُودِ فِي حُجَّةِ فِي الْحُجَّةِ فِي الْقِبْلَةِ Whenever you follow a non-Muslim, they get a certain amount of something they can use against you. Does that make sense? That's the point that Shaykh Islam is making. That they have now something they can use against you. And so one of the great benefits in being different from them is you don't give them ammunition to use against you. Recently, one of the brothers was telling me that someone was complaining that you know, uh, we, we, about this lesson. And not, not about the lesson in general. Like and they had some i'tiradat about what some of the things that we brought in the book. And they said, How, if you're saying this, then why are you using the calendar of the non-Muslims? That, that's exactly the meaning of the ayah. Because these people now, they have a hujjah against you. That's exactly the meaning. Now that you, as soon as you start to follow the, the non-Muslims in something, that's instantly something they can use as a proof against you. And they can say to you, look, see, now you still, you know, you're telling us not to follow in, in don't celebrate Christmas and don't celebrate New Year, but you people still follow the, the same calendar. That's not an evidence, it's not a strong evidence for them, but it is something to bear in mind. Wallah, there's a lot of points I mentioned. I'm just skipping them to try to get to the points that I, any I wanted. <clears throat> we mentioned the issue of the munafiq also, sir. There's a benefit I wanted to read to you on page 49. <clears throat> he said, ثُمَّ وَصَفَ سُبْحَانَ كُلَّ وَاحِدَةٍ مِنَ الطَّائِفَتَيْنِ بِأَعْمَالِهِمْ فِي أَنفُسِهِمْ وَفِي غَيْرِهِمْ وَكَلِمَاتُ اللَّهِ جَوَامِعٍ وَذَلِكَ أَنَّهُ لَمَّا كَانَتِ الْأَعْمَالُ لَمَّا كَانَتْ أَعْمَالُ الْمَرْءِ الْمُتَعَلِّقَةِ بِدِينِهِ قِسْمَيْنِ أَحَدُهُمَا أَنْ يَعْمَلَ وَيَتْرُكْ وَالثَّانِي أَنْ يَأْمُرَ غَيْرَهُ بِالْفِعْلِ وَالتَّرْكِ ثُمَّ فِعْلَهُ إِمَّا أَنْ يَخْتَصَّ هُوَ بِنَفْعِهِ أَوْ يَنْفَعَ بِهِ غَيْرَهُ فَصَارَتْ الْأَقْسَامُ فَصَارَتْ الْأَقْسَامُ ثَلَاثَةً لَيْسَ لَهَا رَابِعٌ أَحَدُهُمَا ما يقوم بالعامل ولا يتعلق بغيره كالصلاة مثلا والثاني ما, يعمل ما يعمله لنفع غيره كالزكاة والثالث ما يأمر غيره أن يفعله 
فيكون الغير هو العامل وحظه هو الأمر به and here what I was just amazed about to be honest with you is how Sheikh al-Islam he, he mentioned a point that the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal is jawami' yani there, there are few words with very deep meanings so he's talking about the issue of the munafiqeen and the and the kafirun and the difference between their actions and the believers and things like that so then he breaks it all down and he said Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala described each of these two groups with their actions in themselves and towards others. And this is because the actions of a person that relate to their religion come in two types. Either that person is doing the action or leaving something, or that person is telling someone to do it or leave something. He said, therefore, it comes down to three parts. The first one is something that is related to the person themselves and it doesn't relate to anyone else, like salah. Salah is your action. It do, it's not there to benefit or to command other people. And you pray yourself. The second is that which you do to benefit others, like zakah. And the third is what you command others to do and your share of it is your encouragement of them to do it. فَقَالَ سُبْحَانَ فِي وَصْفِ الْمُنَافِقِينَ يَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمُنْكَرْ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمَعْرُوفِ Allah Azza wa Jal said about the munafiqeen they command that which is evil and they forbid that which is good. And he said about the mu'mineen, يَأْمُرُونَ بِالْمَعْرُوفِ وَيَنْهَوْنَ عَنِ الْمُنْكَرِ They command that which is good and they forbid that which is evil. Then he said, المعروف اسم جامع لكل ما يحبه الله ويرضاه أو لكل ما يحبه الله من الإيمان والعمل الصالح المعروف is a comprehensive word for everything Allah loves from iman and righteous deeds. And المنكر is اسم جامع لكل ما نهى الله عن And that's why المعروف in Islam, here, doesn't relate to what the people think is good. Al-ma'roof has two meanings in the language, right? That which is good and that which is customary. But here, al-ma'roof, here in the ayah, doesn't relate to that which is customary. Al-ma'roof is what Islam says is good from iman and righteous actions. And al-munkar is what Allah Azza wa Jal prohibited. And Sheikh Ibn Taymin made a point on that and he said, للمعروف He says, an excellent definition of what it means to do righteous deeds and otherwise. The issue here is the Sharia. Sahih. Uh, we say, العرف, the, the, the Urf of the people is given consideration. It's true. We do give consideration to people's customs. This is where the issue is going to come, the issue of customs. We do give consideration to people's customs. But that is when the Sharia doesn't have a dabit for it. Does that make sense? If the Sharia doesn't give you a dabit, doesn't tell you what the definition is, then we can go back to the urf of the people, what the people know it to be. But we can't go what the people know it to be if Islam has given us a definition. Hatta in the Lugha, the same thing. In the language, the Arabic language, there's no doubt there are things 
that are defined in the Sharia. Salah is defined in the Sharia. We don't go back to the language. And it doesn't concern us what the language says that Salah or Hajj or Saum means. If the Sharia has defined it for us. So this is something that inshallah ta'ala you are going to benefit from in these issues of being different from the non-Muslims. The issue of Urf is going to come up. What about if it's our customs? So when the Sharia defines something for you, the issue of custom now doesn't come into it. But the issue of customs comes into that which the Sharia doesn't give a babit for it. The next thing I want to read you from is page 60 and onwards. He said, Surah Tawbah, ayah number 69. On the next page, the Sheikh mentions a benefit from it. He said, Qawluhu subhana, fastamta'atum bi khalaqikum, isharatun ila attiba'i shahawat, wa huwa da'ul usah. Wa qawlihi, wa khudtum kalladhi khadu, isharatun ila attiba'i shubuhat, wa huwa da'ul mubtadi'ah, وأهل الأهواء والخصومات وكثيرا ما يجتمعان فقل من تجد في اعتقاده فسادا إلا وهو يظهر في عمله وقد دلت الآية على أن الذين من قبل استمتعوا وخاضوا وهؤلاء فعلوا مثل أولئك He said the statement of Allah عز وجل فاستمتعتم بخلاقكم this statement here indicates following your desires. And following your desires is the sickness of what? The sinners. And it is, who does it come under? Which of the two groups, the Jews or the Christians? Who is known for it? The Jews, right? Al-Maghdubi alayhim. Fastamta'atum bi khalaqikum. Yani now they followed their desires. Wahudtum kalladi khadu is following the shubuhat. He said this is the sickness of the mubtadi'ah and the people of their and the people of desires. And many times these two come together. So it's rare that you'll see someone who has corruption in their aqidah except it will show in their actions. And this is shown that this both of these two things came from what? What did he bring the ayah? They came from the people before. Because that's the, that's the delil he brought from the ayah, right? 
Just like the people before followed their desires, you will follow your desires. Just like the people before fell into confusion, you will fall into confusion. So there's two great benefits from this, or three. The first one is dividing misguidance into shahawat and shubuhat. Desires and confusion. Confusion is the characteristic of the Christians and the desires is the characteristic of the Jews. And all misguidance comes back to this. But what he said, the, the benefit that I wanted from this is what he said, Many times these two come together. So don't think because the Christians predominantly were people of Shubuhat and the Jews predominantly were people of Shahawat, don't think that it doesn't mean that these two things cannot come together in a person. Rather, they do come together in a person. And that's why, for a long time, I dealt with, you know, for example, speaking to people who fell into atheism among Muslims. What do they bring? What do you usually see that the atheist, the person who's al-murtad, the apostate, normally, which of these two do, they, do you think they present most of the time? Shubuhat. And everyone agrees that they come and say, because of this, I don't believe it, this is not. Lekin the reality is, is that very rare is it only shubuhat. Rather, if you trace back the origin of it, you will see shahawat in it. You'll see that they didn't want to be restricted by the laws of Islam. They didn't want to have to, you know, pray five times a day and leave off drinking this and eating that and... They wanted that freedom, and then what do they do? They go and they catch up with Shubuhat to justify the fact that they followed their Shahawat. So really, when you see people who've been affected by these things, it is very rare that you see a person affected by one of them alone, absolutely. And that is why? Because of the connection between the heart and the actions. So most of the time you will see a person actually in reality is affected by both. And for a long time, I pondered on this, talking to people who left Islam and trying to explain to them. Because for a long time, I treated as though the problem was just shubuhat. And I found something. Every time I would answer a shubha, they would bring another shubha in its place. So like, I would answer the shubha. Are you convinced? Yeah, I'm convinced. Okay, so now what do you say about Islam? They bring something else. For this is what? This is dalilun ala tiba'a shahawat. It's an evidence that they're following desires because they're not interested in the answer to the shubhat at all. Because their desires will simply produce another shubha because they're not willing to submit to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And that's a problem they took from the Yahud. So don't think, we're going to be struggling for questions. Well, I will try my best at the end, inshallah. Just maybe write it. So don't ever, ever think that a person who presents you with shubahat has only shubahat. It could happen. The Sheikh said, kathiran ma'ijtami'an. In most cases, you will see a person has a combination of both. So bear that in mind when you're giving da'wah to people, even Muslims who've gone far astray or even non-Muslims, when people bring shubuhat, 
they often have desires that they're following as well. When they present themselves as following desires, it may well be that they have confusion. And like the Sheikh said, how it's very rare you find someone who has facade in their aqidah, except that it shows in the actions that they do. And this ayah is clear in prohibiting following those who <coughs> came before, because it mentions that these people, like the before you, they followed their desires, and like before you, they fell into confusion, so you will also fall into the same as them. I then want to go to page number 68 and the hadith from Sahih Muslim and Abi Sa'id and Radiallahu An and in Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and uh, Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and Nahuqal in the dunya hulwatun khadira wa inna Allah subhana mustakhrifukum fiha fayanzuru kayfa ta'amalun fattaku dunya wa taku nisa fa inna awala fitnati bani Israel kanat fin nisa. This world is sweet and green. And Allah will place you in authority in it to see how you will, in other words, to test how you will behave. So protect yourself from this world and protect yourself from women. For indeed, the first trial of Bani Israel was with regard to women. Here, the point that we wanted to bring is the last statement. The first thing that Bani Israel were tried with. So if we are trying to be different from the people of the fire, and we want to be different from the Yahud and the Nasara, we have to also learn from their mistakes. We have to learn the things that they fell into. The Prophet said, The first thing Bani Israel fell into was Fitnatun Nisa. The issue of women. He said, Then he said, And the Prophet warned us about this. And he warned us with regard to this fitna. And that this fitna was the, fit, the first fitna that Bani Israel fell into. And he warned us how we would follow that fitna. In the hadith of Abdullah ibn Amr, the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, لَا يَأْتِيَنَّ عَلَىٰ أُمَّةِ مَا أَتَىٰ عَلَىٰ بَنِي إِسْرَائِيلِ حَذْوَ النَّعْلِ بِالنَّعْلِ of Abdullah ibn Amr, and the hadith he said is, is narrated from Abi Huraira, it's narrated from Amr ibn Awf, and it's narrated from many, many of the Sahaba. 
The Prophet ﷺ said, there will certainly come to my ummah what came to Bani Israel. Any footstep by footstep, step by step, everything will happen to, to, to this ummah, what happened to them. Even to the extent that if one of them went to his mother, and in the open there would be from my ummah people who would do the same. And indeed, Bani Israel broke up into 72 religions or 72 sects. And my ummah will break into 73 sects. All of them are in the fire except for one of them. They said, O Messenger of Allah, what are they? He said, what me and my companions are upon today. Then he brought the narration of Muawiyah that the Messenger of Allah وسلم, said, Inna ahla al-kitabayn iftaraqu fi dinihim ala thintayni wa sab'ina milla wa inna hadhi al-umma satiftariqu ala thalathin wa sab'ina milla kulluha fi al-nari illa wahida wa hiya al-jama'a wa qal innahu sayakhruju min ummati aqwamun tatajara bihim tilka al-ahwa kama yatajara al-kalabu bisahibi fala yabqa minhu irqun wala mifsalun illa dakhala that the people of the two books, yani the Jews and the Christians, broke up in their religion into 72 groups. And my ummah will break up into 73 groups. Yani desires, following the desires. All of them are in the fire except one, and this is the jama'ah. Then he said, there will come from my ummah a people that these desires will flow through them like rabies flows through the person who gets it. There is not a single vein or a single joint except that it goes into it. And not every, a person will absorb this to the point it will go into them like one of these diseases goes into every single vein and every single joint of the body It's going to go inside of them. For this is also from the يعني, very, very important points that we... Uh, and that we need to understand that this breaking up into groups and sects is from the ways of the Jews and the Christians. Likewise, their following of their desires as well. The next hadith I want to read to you is on page 71 that Al-Barqani narrates in his Sahih. وَزَادَ إِنَّمَا أَخَافُ عَلَىٰ أُمَّةِ الْأَئِمَّةَ الْمُضَلِّينَ وَإِذَا وَقَعَ عَلَيْهِمُ السَّيْفِ لَمْ يُرْفَعْ إِلَىٰ يَوْمُ الْقِيَامَةِ وَلَا تَقُومُ السَّاعَةُ حَتَّى يَلْحَقَ حَيٌّ مِّنْ أُمَّةِ بِالْمُشْرِكِينَ وَحَتَّى يَعْبُدُ فِئَامٌ مِّنْ أُمَّةِ الْأَوْثَانِ وَإِنَّهُ سَيَكُونُ فِي أُمَّةِ كذابون ثلاثون كلهم يزعم أنه نبي وأنا خاتم النبيين لا نبي بعدي ولا تزال طائفة من أمتي على الحق منصورة لا يضرهم من خاذ لهم حتى يأتي أمر الله تبارك وتعالى This hadith is going to give us a great benefit The Prophet said I'm only scared for my ummah for the misguiding imams يعني those people who misguide the people and that if the sword goes down into my ummah, any in, internal fighting, civil war and strife, 
it will not be raised from them until Yawm Al-Qiyamah. And the hour will not come until a group of my ummah attach themselves to the mushrikeen. And until a group of my ummah worship idols. This tells us, in opposition to what people think, that even the issue of copying the kuffar extends as far as the mushrikeen. And that there will be people from this ummah that will follow the ways of the mushrikeen and abatatul awthan, the people who worship the idols and statues. <coughs> it also concludes with the statement of the Prophet ﷺ that there will not cease to be a group of my ummah victorious upon the truth. They will not be harmed. Nothing will harm them. Those who go against them and oppose them until the command of Allah comes to Baraka wa ta'ala. So we need to understand that even we're talking about the Jews and Christians, like in even the issue of resembling the idol worshippers, which is worse. And those people who worship other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, from the idols and statues and so on, and that from this ummah there will be people who will, there will be people who will follow, and who will follow that. The Sheikh mentioned a lot of benefits about ikhtilaf, but I'm just conscious that we don't have really maybe enough time to go through them. But it's, it's worth going back to at some point if you can, and if you're able to read the book. Wallahi, he mentions in these pages some real benefits about ikhtilaf and the differences. In the ikhtilaf tanawur, ikhtilaf tadad, ikhtilaf where both sides are blameworthy, ikhtilaf where not neither are blameworthy, ikhtilaf where one is blameworthy and the other one is not blameworthy. For there's some benefits in that, inshallah ta'ala. We can come back to it later on, inshallah ta'ala. Likewise, on page uh, 90, there's also a hadith that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu said that I think is very important for us to bear in mind on this topic. That he said, أَتُرِيدُونَ أَن تَقُولُوا كَمَا قَالَ أَهْلُ الْكِتَابَيْنِ مِنْ قَبْلِكُمْ سَمِعْنَا وَعَصَيْنَا بَلْ قُولُوا سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا غُفْرَانَكَ رَبَّنَا وَإِلَيْكَ الْمَصِيرِ And this is with regard to the Sabab Nuzul. Of the statement of Allah This ayah was hard upon the Sahaba. Why was the ayah hard upon the Sahaba? Because they understood from it that every intention or every thought we have in our heart, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala can punish us for it, even if we don't act upon it. Like if we have a bad thought or a bad we have a bad thought that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will punish us for that. They said, Ay Rasul Allah, kullifna 
ما نطيق الصلاة والصيام والجهاد والصدقة وقد نزلت عليك هذه الآية لا نطيقها They said, oh messenger of Allah, Allah has asked us to do what we can manage. Our prayer, our fasting, jihad and sadaqah. But this ayah is telling us what we can't manage to do. The Prophet ﷺ turned to them and said, do you want to say what the two people of the Jews and Christians said before you? They said, we hear and we disobey. Instead, say we hear and we obey, we seek your forgiveness, O Allah, and to you will be the return. So what happened? They said, this ayah, we can't follow it. The Prophet ﷺ taught them, don't say it like this. What you're saying is the same as what the Jews and Christians said. And how many people today, Muslims, do you hear saying these kind of things? This, I can't implement it. This is too much for me. You're giving me in my religion what I can't do. The Prophet ﷺ taught them, don't say this. This is what the Jews and Christians said. Say, سَمِعْنَا وَأَطَعْنَا We hear and we obey. غُفْرَانَكَ رَبَّنَا Forgive us, our Lord, for our shortcomings. وَإِلَيْكَ الْمَصِيرِ When they said this, what did Allah send down? آمَنَ الرَّسُولُ بِمَا أُنزِلَ إِلَيْهِ مِنْ رَبِّهِ وَالْمُؤْمِنُونَ Until Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, He sent down يعني the, the, the last two ayat لَا يُكَلِّفُ اللَّهُ نَفْسًا إِلَّا وُسْعَهَا لَهَا مَا كَسَبَتْ وَعَلَيْهَا مَا اكْتَسَبَتْ رَبَّنَا لَا تُؤَاخِذْنَا إِنَّ سِينَا أَوْ أَخْطَأْنَا Until the end of the ayat. And he said, فَحَذَّرَهُمُ النَّبِيُّ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمُ أَنْ يَتَلَقَّوْ أَمْرَ اللَّهِ بِمَا تَلَقَّاهُ أَهْلَ الْكِتَابَيْنِ أَهْلُ الْكِتَابَيْنِ وَأَمْرَهُمْ بِالسَّمْعِ وَالطَّاعَةِ فَشَكَرَ اللَّهُ لَهُمْ ذَلِكَ حَتَّى رَفَعَ اللَّهُ عَنْهُمْ الْآصَارِ وَالْأَغْلَالِ الَّتِي كَانَتْ عَلَى مَنْ كَانَ قَبْلَنَا It's profound what he said. The Prophet taught the Sahaba something. Don't take the command of Allah that comes down to you and greet it the same way the Ahlul Kitab greeted it. When Allah sends a command to you, do the best from it what you can. And ask Allah's forgiveness for your shortcomings. Don't be like Ahlul Kitab who said, Sami'na wa asayna. They said, we hear and we disobey. When the Sahaba said, we hear and we obey, what happened? Allah lightened that for them. When they said these words, Allah lightened it and Allah abrogated that ruling with the last two ayat of Surah Al-Baqarah. That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala lightened it for them and removed many of the burdens that were upon Ahlul Kitab, removed them for the Muslims. And you know that there were burdens upon Ahl Kitab, and there were things that Ahl Kitab were punished with. Because of oppression from those Jews, we made haram for them, the tayyibat that were halal for them before, the halal things that were there for them before. Many things Allah made hardships for them because they greeted the commands of Allah with sami'na wa asayna. Whereas when the Muslims learn from the Prophet whatever Allah sends down to you, you hear, you obey, and you ask Allah's forgiveness for your shortcomings. And you do the best what you, what you possibly can, and you ask Allah to forgive you for your shortcomings, Allah will lighten from you <coughs> that difficulty and will bring ease for you. So it's very important for us and that we are a people 
who when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala commands something and the Messenger sallallahu alayhi wa sallam commands something, we do the best in it that we possibly can. And we try our best to implement it and we ask Allah's forgiveness if we and if we fall short. From the evidences that we are, and this is mentioned on page 95, from the evidences that we are required to oppose the Jews and Christians in everything they do, is the issue of dyeing the, the gray hair. And the Prophet ﷺ said, إِنَّ الْيَهُودَ وَالنَّصَارَى لَا يَسْبُغُونَ فَخَالِفُوهُمْ the Jews and Christians don't dye their any the grey in their hair. So oppose them, be different from them. Look at this issue down to something so any small. But this issue, what is intended is to be different from them. And that shows any that this is something that the Sharia wants from you in every situation. And the Prophet ﷺ gives the illa for it. So he said here, وَإِن كَانَ الْأَمْرُ بِالْمُخَالَفَةِ فِي تَغِيرِ الشَّعْرِ فَقَطْ فَهُوَ لِأَجْلِ مَا فِيهِ مِنَ الْمُخَالَفَةِ فَالْمُخَالَفَةِ إِمَّا عِلَّةٌ مُفْرَدَةٌ أَوْ عِلَّةٌ أُخْرَى أَوْ بَعْضُ إِلَّةٌ He says here, even the issue of the mukhalafa, either it's the only reason, and it might be even you could argue in this hadith, there's no reason to do this except to be different from them. Or, it's one of the reasons. And there's a reason, and then there's an, the, another reason. Or it's part of the reason. But in every case, it tells us that being different from the Jews and the Christians is something that is an essential part of the religion. These ahadith, wallahi, they give you a strong evidence because they show you that if it is required to follow, to oppose the Jews and Christians in the smallest issues, like dyeing the gray hair, then what do you think about the aqidah, the ibadat? The akhlaq, the mu'amalat. If we're required to be different from them in the dying of the hair, what do you think about their ibadat, their aqidah? So being different from them in that is minbabi awla. It's more deserving. And it's, it's even more deserving to be different from them in that. <coughs> There's also a benefit that I wanted to read to you from page 105. The Shaykh, he said, وَحَقِيقَةُ الْأَمْرِ أَنَّ جَمِيعَ عَمَالِ الْكَافِرِ وَأُمُورُهُ وَأُمُورَهُ لَا بُدَّ فِيهَا مِنْ خَلَلٍ يَمْنَعُهَا أَنْ تَتِمَّ مَنْفَاعَةً بِهَا وَمَنْفَاعَةٌ بِهَا وَلَوْ فُورِضَ صَلَاحُ شَيْءٍ مِنْ أُمُورِهِ عَلَى التَّمَامِ لَاسْتَحَقَّ بِذَلِكَ ثَوَابَ الْآخِرَةِ it's a great benefit he brought. He said, the reality is that every action of the disbeliever and all of their affairs, they must have deficiency in it, which means they cannot benefit from it. If we said that the actions they did were done completely and properly, then they would have deserved the reward in the Akhirah for it. But they either rendered 
invalid or they're either deficient. And this, why I wanted to highlight it to you, is so many people become impressed by what the non-Muslims do. They say, like, look at these people, the insaniya, they have the human rights, and look at their and he look at their behaviors and look at how much insaf they have, justice they have, and fairness they have. That argument is totally and utterly invalid. Because everything the kafir has is either fasida or naqisa. It's either corrupt in its essence, because they're kuffar, or it's flawed in its implementation. They have not one single deed that is tam, complete and done properly. So don't let anyone be amazed by what they have. And don't let anyone say the statements of the foolish people who said that I came to the lands of the non-Muslims and I saw Islam but I didn't see Muslims. There's no way that that statement can, can work. Because of the point that Shaykh Islam makes, every single thing these people have is either fasida or naqisa. It's either corrupt in its origin or it's deficient. Every right they have, every concept of justice they have, it is either corrupt or it's either deficient. Every single one of them. However, if they bring something that exists in Islam, do we praise them for it? No, we don't. We praise Islam for it. And if, for example, if they bring an element of, let's say, al-adl, justice in something, that Islam calls to, we praise Islam for that aspect of justice. We don't praise it from them. Likewise, in this is the mistake of the people who praise Ahlul Bid'ah for some of the qualities they have from the Sunnah. That also is invalid, right? If they brought something from the Sunnah, then the praiseworthy aspect is the Sunnah, not, what they, not them. They are not praiseworthy for it. So some people said you should take this aspect from these people and this aspect from these people and this aspect from these people and that's not correct. Rather you should take it all from the sunnah of the Prophet ﷺ and if it's the case that a certain group of people or a certain any category of people have taken something from the sunnah it's the sunnah that deserves to be followed not them. Likewise, in the Sahihain from Abdullah ibn Umar, and this is on page uh, 106, that the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, خَالِفُ الْمُشْرِكِينَ He said, أَحْفُ الشَّوَارِبْ وَأَوْفُ He said, be different from the mushrikeen, trim the mustache and allow the beard to grow. The same issue of the mustache and the beard, and this came in what? Khaliful mushrikeen. Now, Shaykh Islam brought a point here. Amara bi mukhalafatil mushrikeen mutlaqan. Here, the Prophet universally said, be different from the mushrikeen in everything. And from the things that you're commanded to be different in, and it is this issue of trimming the mustache and allowing the beard to grow. And there are numerous yani, narrations like that. Like the narration of Abi Hurairah, وَأَرْخُ الْلِحَى خَالِفُ الْمَجُوسِ Be different from the majus. 
The Majus, how did they used to be? Big mustache, shaved beard. So when the emissaries of Persia came to the Prophet ﷺ, they had a big tash and no beard. What did they say? They said to the Prophet ﷺ, our Lord commanded us, yani our leader commanded us to grow our mustache and shave our beard. And the Prophet ﷺ said, my Lord commanded me to trim my mustache and grow my beard. Khaliful majus, be different from the majus. For this is two issues I brought it for. Number one, because of this, the fact that so many people are not following this issue properly and they're still any, trimming their beard or cutting their beard or shaving their beard. And some of them, even worse, they shave that and they grow their mustache like the majus. But also because the Prophet linked this ruling to the disbelievers. Here there comes a point. Recently, the disbelievers... I don't know how many years ago they went through a fashion of growing the beard. The beard became fashionable again. And didn't we all find it so good that you can walk around the street with a beard and nobody finds you strange? Because it became one of their fashions. Does that mean we shave our beard? I want the delil for it. Because we were commanded to be different from them. Now these people start growing the beard. So surely the evidence would suggest shaving the beard, right? So what's the evidence? Very good. So here, the evidence is what? There's 10 things from the fitrah, but aside from that, the evidence is the Prophet ﷺ told you to, to grow the beard. Once he's told you to do it, it doesn't matter whether the mushrikeen do it or don't do it. If all the mushrikeen grow the beard, it doesn't matter. If the Prophet ﷺ has told you to do it, that's the end of the matter. Whether they do it or whether they don't do it. Likewise, the hadith of the Prophet ﷺ from Shaddad ibn Awsin radiallahu an. Be different from the Jews. They don't pray in their shoes or in their hoof. Now, no doubt, this is evidence that a Muslim, where possible, should pray in your shoes. Where possible. Now, it's not practical in a masjid with carpet. It's not practical for us to pray in our shoes. And we're not saying for people to come into the masjid and pray in the shoes. It's just not practical. I mean, it dirties the carpet. It makes things difficult for everybody. And there's no rule that you must pray every prayer in your shoes. And the Prophet ﷺ didn't pray every single one. But where it's possible, one of the ajeeb things we see is people pray on the grass and take off their shoes. Why are you taking off your shoes to pray on the grass? Are you Bilwadi al-Muqaddasi Tuwa? Are you in the sacred valley of Tua now that you're taking your shoes off to pray on the grass? Are you praying on the grass? Pray in your shoes. And if you're praying in your house and you normally wear shoes in the house, don't take your shoes off for the prayer. There's nothing wrong. There's nothing wrong at all with taking your shoes off for a maslaha like the masjid. But don't take off your shoes to pray if you don't have a reason to take them off. Because this is what the Jews used to do. Here there's a fa'idah a'zimah jiddah. What the Jews used to do, was it beloved to Allah or not? Yani was it from Allah that they used to take their shoes off? 
Allah يعني, told Musa, take off your shoes, you are in the sacred valley of Tua. The Yahud did that, that when they prayed, they took their shoes off. So from the benefits is, it doesn't matter whether the action of the Yahud and the Christians is an action that has an asl in their sharia before. We still oppose them in it. Wallah, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if their action had an evidence for it before. We oppose them in it. The Sabbath, yani the Sabbath, Allah mentioned in the Quran, it was Allah made it obligatory upon the Jews to hold the Sabbath. Like, and we oppose them in it. We don't follow them in it. So it doesn't matter. Nobody can say that this is Shar'u man kana qablana. This is from the Sharia before, so it's our Sharia. Rather, we came with opposing them even in that which is was part of the Sharia before and in with the rules and regulations that come to a long discussion among the ulama of fiqh about an usul about the issue of shar'u man kana qablana. But here it's clear the Prophet said, Khaliful Yahud. Be different from them. Even though we have a evidence to suggest that this was something that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala legislated for them. But the Prophet told us to be different. You need to be different from them in it. And the Prophet said, and this is page 109, this religion will not cease to be apparent as long as people hurry up to break the, to have the iftar. Because the Jews and Christians delay their iftar. <coughs> and likewise, the hadith of the Prophet وسلم, and the people will not cease to be upon good as long as they do not delay Maghrib until when the stars come out. That's until the break, Sheikh. Until when the stars, until the stars come out. Any people delayed Maghrib, they said this is what the Jews do. They delay it until the stars come out. And likewise with regard to the Fajr, delaying it until the stars disappear. And this is from the, any what, this is from that which is comparable to, the, or this is from what which, that which was, any from what the Christians did. This is from what the Christians did. There's a hadith which is azim. We have to stop on it for five minutes until the break. On page 110. Wallahi, this hadith is very, very powerful on this, on this topic. The hadith of Anas radiallahu anh. فَسَأَلَ أَصْحَابُ النَّبِي صلى الله عليه وسلم النَّبِيَّ صلى الله عليه وسلم فَأَنزَلَ اللَّهُ عَزَّ وَجَلْ وَيَسْأَلُونَكَ عَنِ الْمَحِيضِ 
قل هو أذن فاعتزلوا النساء في المحيط فقال رسول الله صلى الله عليه وسلم اسنعوا كل شيء إلا النكاح فبلغ ذلك اليهود فقالوا ما يريد هذا الرجل أن يدع من أمرنا شيئا إلا خالفنا فيه يعني from the hadith of Anas that the Jews when a woman would be on her monthly cycle they would not eat with her and they would not stay in the house with her the companions of the Prophet asked the Prophet about it until Allah revealed they ask you about the menses say it is a harm so keep away from the women in the menses and the Prophet said you may do everything with, with them except intimacy this reached the Yahud the Yahud they said this man will not leave anything of ours except that he's going to be different from us in it Then Usaid ibn Hudayr came to the Prophet and Abbad ibn Bishr and said, Ya Rasulullah, inna al-Yahud taqulu kada wa kada, afala nujami'uhun, fatagayyara wajh Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, hatta dhananna an qad wajad alayhima, fakharaja, fastaqbalahuma. And here it says that Usaid ibn Hudayr and Abbad ibn Bishr, they came and they said, O Messenger of Allah, the Jews are saying this and that. Shall we not be intimate with them? And they said, the Jews are saying, we go against them in, in everything. So you, the Prophet had said, you can do anything but not intimacy, not marital intimacy. They came and said, shall we not be different from them even in this? So the Prophet, his face changed. And, and he became, and he became uh, and he angry. For this hadith, wallahi, there are fawaid from it. From the benefits we want to take from this hadith is the statement of the Jews when they said, this man will not leave anything of ours except that he'll be different in it. The second thing is that the ruling of the Sharia always overtakes the issue of whether it's in agreement with the Yahud or not. That's why if it were just being different from them and we don't take into account the laws of Islam, then it would have been permissible. Like in the Prophet ﷺ, when his face changed, he was not happy with what they said. And he, I've said to you, do everything except intimacy. So now it's not permissible for you to say that, <coughs> why don't we do intimacy? Because it's different from the Jews. And who fell into that? The Nasara. The Nasara, they didn't make any exception to it. Shaykh al-Islam, he mentions a benefit here. He said, ثُمَّ إِنَّ الْمُخَالَفَةِ تَارَةً يَكُونُ فِي أَصْلِ الْحُكْمِ وَتَارَةً فِي وَصْفِهِ Sometimes it's the original issue that you make difference with, and sometimes it's the way you do it that's different. He said, وَمُجَانَبَةُ الْحَائِضِ لَمْ يُخَالِفُ فِي أَصْلِهِ وَلَمْ يُخَالَفُ فِي أَصْلِهِ بَلْ خُولِفُ فِي وَصْفِهِ he said, this issue about the woman on her menses, the original ruling, we don't differ with the Jews in it. That's the same as the Jews, right? What do we differ with them in? The way of this i'tizal. The way of making this distance. So here is a very, very important principle. That not every time we disagree with them in the original ruling of something. But sometimes we disagree with them in the way we do it. 
He said, فَلَمَّا أَرَادَ بَعْضُ الصَّحَابَةِ أَنْ يَتَعَدِّ فِي الْمُخَالَفَةِ إِلَى تَرْكِ مَا شَرَعُهُ اللَّهِ تَغَيِّرَ وَجْهُ رَسُولِ اللَّهِ صلى الله عليه وسلم. When some of the Sahaba, they wanted to go over the bounds of the Sharia in being different from the Jews and the Christians, the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم's face changed. He said, وَهَذَا الْبَابِ بَابِ الطَّهَارَةِ كَانَ عَلَى الْيَهُودِ فِيهِ أَغْلَالٌ عَظِيمَةٌ فَابْتَدَعَ النَّصَارَى تَرْكَ ذَلِكَ كُلِّهِ حَتَّى إِنَّهُمْ لَا يُنَجِّسُونَ شَيْئًا بِلَا شَرْعٍ مِّنَ اللَّهِ He said this issue of Tahara, the Jews had many, many hardships upon them in this issue. So what did the Christians come and do? They innovated and invented leaving all of it. So they said there's nothing that is impure to us. And they left all and they didn't have any issue. Hatta and Akramukumullah, even the issue of the Ha'it, they didn't see any harm in it. Because for them, they for them there's nothing like they don't see any issue with impurities or anything that is impure for them. Why? Because they reacted to the extreme difficulty upon the Jews in the issues of Tahara. And then they brought extremism on the other side. Like, in, we have to stop where the Sharia stops. So this is a principle which I felt is very important to read to you because a person needs to understand that, yes, we oppose the Jews and Christians, but always within the limits of what our Sharia says. So if the Prophet ﷺ agreed with the asl of the Yahud, keep away from the women in the time of the menses, but he differed with them in the way of doing it. So he said, you can eat with them, you can lie with them in the same bed, you can do anything you want, but don't be intimate with them. This is al-ikhtilaf al-wasf. It's not al-ikhtilaf al-asl. The asl came down in the same asl as the Yahud, the same principle the Yahud had. When some of the Sahaba wanted to take the view of the Nasara, that shall we not oppose them in everything? No, you stop where the Sharia stopped. And that always will be the rule. That wherever, so when the Sharia said grow the beard, it doesn't matter now if the Yahud grow the beard or don't grow the beard or the, or the Nasara shave the beard or they don't shave the beard. Where the Sharia stopped, that's it. We stop. For that's an important, that's an important point. We take a small break. We'll not take, I'm, I know a lot about the questions, but I really want to zoom through this. At least, at least, I want to get through, you know, another like, any up to 200, 250 on the pages. And I've only got a few any points highlighted, inshallah ta'ala. But I'm trying to give you a feeling for the book. I know we couldn't read the whole book, wallahi. And I know we couldn't go through every... And I'm missing out gems, wallahi. But I'm just trying to give you a feeling for the most important concepts that are brought to you in the book, inshallah ta'ala. Hada wallahu alam wa salatu wassalamu ala nabina Muhammad wa ala alihi wa sahbihi ajma'i. Alhamdulillahi rabbil alameen wa salatu wassalamu ala abdillahi wa rasoolih. نبينا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد. We reached uh, page one hundred and fifteen, and here Sheikh Islam he brings the hadith of Jabir ibn Abdullah regarding praying sitting down behind the Imam, and the Prophet وسلم, said إن كدتم آنفا تفعلون فعل فارس. والروم. 
يقومون على ملوكهم وهم قعود فلا تفعلوا he said you almost did the action of the people of Persia and the Byzantines they stand up for their kings while they are sitting down do not do so the reason i uh, i brought this here is the issue of standing up for people and it's not from the sunnah right to stand up for people and when someone comes in like a person of any a person of let's say status or whatever it's not from the sunnah for you to stand up for them we don't have this issue of standing up for people who have high status however there is an issue what do you do if there is a harm in that you fear a greater harm in it like for example the person would be offended and so on so in this case the scholars they say it's permissible for you in the, in that situation it's permissible for you to it's permissible for you to stand up like and it shouldn't be our habit especially among people of the sunnah who know the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam disliked people to stand up for him then we shouldn't also have that bad habit of perpetuating that any any incorrect behavior any so greet people say if someone comes in greet them sitting down like and if you know that person would be offended by it and it will cause hard, hardship between the people then there is no harm in you standing up to greet a person if you feel that it would cause any enmity between the people or it would cause hardship between the people but in general any you among yourselves don't make don't keep this bad habit going of standing up for people and the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam said la tu'addhimuni kama yu'addhim al-a'jim ba'dhuha ba'dhan don't venerate me like the non-muslims venerate it each other this came in the topic of salah and these ahadith came in the topic of and it came in the topic of salah like it's also narrated that the prophet sallallahu disliked the people to stand for him in general for even though it came with regard to the salah it's not a good habit to have any the issue of standing up for people especially someone of respect and you, and you all stand up for them it's not from the sunnah of the muslims like if you know that it's a person's culture and they would get up, offended by it or it would cause an issue between the people then here in this case you can do it inshallah the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam also said arba'un fi ummati min amri al-jahiliyya la yatrukunahun الفخر بالأحزاب والطعن في الأنساب والاستسقاء بالنجوم والنياحة. He said there are four things that are from jahiliya. Now, why the Sheikh brought this is he's saying that everything that has the word jahiliya in it is blameworthy. من أمر الجاهلية. This is from jahiliya. This is and this is also we required to distance ourselves from it. and to, to separate ourselves from anything that has the word jahiliya in it pride over what your ancestors did and at-ta'n fil-ansab 
in a you can say to, to be criticizing or to insult a person with regard to their lineage. And al-istisqa bin nujum, and he making the stars the reason why the rain, and a reason for the rain to fall, and wailing over the dead. The point here is that everything the Prophet ﷺ speaks about as being from jahiliyyah. He said, وَهَذَا كُلُّهُ يَقْتَضِي أَنَّمَا كَانَ مِنْ أَمْرِ الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ وَفِعْلِهِمْ فَهُوَ مَذْمُومٌ فِي دِينِ الْإِسْلَامِ Every single thing that is mentioned about it, jahiliyyah, is blameworthy in Islam. And that's why when Abu Dhar, he yani, insulted a man based on his mother, it's not authentic that it was Bilal that he said it to. We mentioned this in a previous lecture that it's not authentic that it was Bilal he said it to. Like he said something about a person's mother. And he said something to any about a person's mother. The Prophet said, You're a man that has jahiliya in you. And so all of these aspects yani, that the Muslims have not left, including tribalism, yani, we're not talking about the issue of having a tribe, but this issue of you know, people who are supposed to be brothers in Islam being at war with each other, racism, yani, all of these issues that, the, that people haven't left. These are also min amril jahiliyyah that is required for every Muslim to leave. And it takes the same ruling as being different from the Yahud and the Nasara. So it's not just the Jews and the Christians, everything from Jahiliyyah, including racism, including this exaggerated tribalism, and all of these things that people have wailing over the dead, all of it. And we should be as far away from it as we are away from what we've spoken about from the Jews and the Christians. Yani akhlaq al-jahiliyyah, the behaviors of jahiliyyah. <coughs> what about the statement of the Prophet ﷺ from the hadith of Abi Hurairah radiyallahu anhu? Ithnatani fil nasi huma bihim kufr, atta'nu fil ansab wa niyaha al-mayit. Yani meaning that these are when he said these are kufr for them. It means that these are attributes from the actions of the kuffar. And here, listen to what Shaykh Islam said. It's a big fa'id on the topic of takfir, page 124. Not everyone who has an aspect of kufr in them becomes a kafir with kufr that takes them outside of the religion of Islam. كَمَا أَنَّهُ لَيْسَ كُلُّ مَنْ قَامَ بِهِ شُعْبَةٌ مِنْ شُعْبَ الْإِيمَانِ يَصِيرُ بِهَا مُؤْمِنًا Just like not everyone who does something from the, from the branches of iman becomes a believer. What do you say if a disbeliever moves a harmful tree or a, a thorn from the road? Do they become a Muslim by the fact that they moved a thorn from the road? They don't. So likewise also, if a person has a khisla from kufr, like racism, 
which is khislatun it is yani khislatun min khisal al kuffar means from the attributes of the kuffar not from the attributes of the muslims then we don't say that person became kafir then the sheikh he said another faida on bab al takfir he said wa farqun bayna al kufr al mu'arraf bil lami كما في قوله ليس بين العبد وبين الكفر أو الشرك إلا ترك الصلاة وبين كفر منكر منكر في الإثبات وفرق أيضا بين معنى الاسم المطلق إذا قيل كافر أو مؤمن وبين المعنى المطلق للاسم في جميع موارده كما في قوله لا ترجع بعد كفارا يضرب بعضكم رقاب بعض he said there's a difference between al-kufr with alif and lam and there's a difference between kufr without it. Like the statement of the Prophet ﷺ, there's nothing between a person and between al-kufr and ash-shirk except leaving the prayer. And between the statement, the statement that we had in the previous hadith, which was huma bihim kufrun, among them is kufr. There's a difference between kufr and al-kufr. There's also a difference between the word kafir and between a complete application of that ruling to the person. Like the Prophet said, do not go back after me as kuffar hitting the necks of each other. They didn't become kuffar with al-ma'na al-mutlaq. They didn't become kuffar yani like outside of the religion of Islam. So the name kafir itself doesn't necessarily apply the ruling of it in every place that it comes. We're not saying in any place. We're not saying every time you see kafir, it doesn't mean kafir. No, not in every time it comes. It doesn't, mean, it doesn't necessarily have to mean in every single place that it comes that that person has left the religion of Islam in everything. Like the hadith, do not come after me as disbelievers hitting the necks of each other. <coughs> he said, وَهَؤُلَاءِ يُسَمَّوْنَ كُفَّارًا تَسْمِيَ مُقَيَّدًا وَلَا يَدْخُلُونَ فِي الْإِسْمِ الْمُطْلَقِ إِذَا قِيلَ كَافِرْ وَمُؤْمِنْ كَمَا أَنَّ قَوْلِهِ تَعَالَى مِنْ مَاءٍ دَافِقٍ He said, سُمِّيَ الْمَنِيُّ مَاءَ تَسْمِيَةً تَمَّاءً تَسْمِيَةً مُقَيَّدًا وَلَمْ يَدْخُلْ فِي الْإِسْمِ الْمُطْلَقِ Allah is a very big benefit. He said that these people are called kuffar in a limited, restricted way, not in the full meaning of the word kafir. The same way that when Allah said, مِمَّاءٍ دَافِقٍ he named that which comes out from the man as water. Lakin it's not water bil ismul mutlaq, right? It's a liquid, but it's not it's not water as the ruling of water in the Sharia. So this is a very important principle. That just because there's a difference between kufr and al-kufr. So bear in mind when you come across a hadith that says kufr or you come across a hadith that says al Kufr. Then there's a difference between the word kafir sometimes can be used muqayyada in a limited sense. In other words, 
attributes of kufr or resemblance of kufr or whatever. But it doesn't necessarily mean a kafir as in one that has left the religion of Islam, just like there are times when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uses other words in a limited, restricted sense, like in the statement, Mimma'in Dafiq. Nifa, this is in a discussion regarding the word jahiliyyah and the, all of the ahadith that come to the, the contain the word jahiliyyah or kufr or kafir yani, and so on, that all of these yani, are things that we are required to distance ourselves and that we are required to distance ourselves from On page 133, there's a benefit with regard to the statement of Allah Azza wa Jal, Tawbah is only accepted by Allah for those who do evil out of ignorance. Uh, he said, Muhammad Everyone who does something evil is ignorant. <coughs> he said, The reason for this. أن العلم الحقيقي الراسخ في القلب يمتنع أن يصدر معه ما يخالفه من قول أو فعل فمتى صار خلافه فلا بد من غفلة القلب عنه أو ضعفه في القلب بمقاومة ما يعارضه وتلك الأحوال تناقض حقيقة العلم he said the reality of knowledge that is firmly grounded in the heart is that knowledge stops a person from doing, saying something or doing something that opposes it. So whenever something comes from a person, a statement or action, which opposes it, there must be something missing in the heart from it. Or a weakness in the heart. To oppose, like to bring something that opposes that knowledge that is in your heart. So both of these are situations where the person became ignorant because of them. They describe with ignorance. In other words, if you know that this is wrong in your heart, and then you do it, there's two reasons why. Either your heart is unaware of something regarding it, unaware of the status of Allah, then unaware of the rights of Allah, unaware of the severity of the sin. There's something missing so by that consideration your heart has ignorance in it or you're too weak in your heart to be able to stick to what you you know in your heart and therefore this is described as any this weakness is also described as a kind of ignorance And then he said, وَمِنْ هُنَا تَعْرِفُ دُخُولَ الْأَعْمَالِ فِي مُسَمَّ الْإِيمَانِ حَقِيقَةً لَا مَجَازًا From here you can see clearly that the actions enter into Iman in reality. They are not just, and it's not a figure of speech to say that Iman is, actions are a part of, of Iman. Uh, and then he said, وَإِنْ لَمْ يَكُنْ كُلُّ مَنْ تَرَكَ شَيْئًا مِنَ الْأَعْمَالِ كَافِرًا وَلَا خَارِجًا عَنْ أَصْلِ مُسَمَّ الْإِيمَانِ 
وكذلك اسم العقل ونحو ذلك من الأسماء ولهذا يسمى أو يسمى الله تعالى أصحاب هذه الأحوال موتا وعميا وصما وبكما وضالين وجاهلين يصفهم بأنهم لا يعقلون ولا يسمعون ويصف المؤمنين بأول الألباب وأول النهى وأنهم مهتدون وأن لهم نورا وأنهم يسمعون ويعقلون <coughs> He said Not everyone who leaves an action therefore is considered to be a kafir I mean, We're not saying if you leave an action that you become a disbeliever That's the other extreme Nor do we say that you're outside of the description of Iman in a basic sense Likewise any the, the term any intellect so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala what does he call these people he calls them dead mota and the people who any they disobeyed him and they and he calls them what does he call them any the, or the disbelievers they calls them dead he calls them blind he calls them deaf he calls them dalin misguided he calls them Jahilin, ignorant. He calls them la yaqilun. They do not have intellect. La yasmaun. They do not hear. As for the mu'min, what does he call them? Ulul albab, the people of intellect. Ulul nuha, the people of intelligence. Muhdadun, the guided people, the people of light, the people who hear and the people who, any who think. And this is the reality of the difference between iman. And jahiliyyah. <coughs> then he mentions on page 134 the hadith sunnatan and the one who seeks sunnatan jahiliyyah. He said, يَنْدَرِجُ فِيهِ كُلُّ جَاهِلِيَةِ مُطْلَقَ أَوْ مُقَيَّدَةِ يَهُودِيَّةِ أَوْ نَصْرَانِيَّةِ أَوْ مَجُوسِيَّةِ أَوْ صَائِبَةِ أَوْ وَثَنِيَّةِ أَوْ مُرَكَّبَةٍ بَيْنَ ذَلِكَ أَوْ بَعْضُهُ أَوْ مُنْتَزَعٍ أَوْ مُنْتَزَعَةٍ مِنْ بَعْضِ هَذِهِ الْمِلَلِ الْجَاهِلِيَّةِ فَإِنَّهَا جَمِيعُهَا مبتدعها ومنسوخها صارت جاهلية بمبعث محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن كان لفظ الجاهلية لا يقال غالبا إلا على حال العرب التي كانوا عليها فإن المعنى واحد هي this is the conclusion of what he said about جاهلية he said the word سنة جاهلية underneath it comes every kind of جاهلية whether absolute or restricted to a particular thing whether it's from the Jews, whether it's from the Christians, whether it's from the Majus, whether it's from the Sabians, whether it's from the idol worshippers, whether it's a mix of what those people did, whether it is taken out from some of those religions of Jahiliya, all of it, whether it is innovated or whether it's mansukh. It's, it's important. Doesn't matter whether it's an innovation or it's abrogated. Any whether it was something that was legislated but then abrogated in our religion or whether it's something that was never legislated and Ahlul Kitab made it up. 
all of it deserves to be called jahiliyyah when the prophet muhammad was sent <coughs> so as soon as the prophet muhammad was sent everything the jews christians magians the sabi'a the idol worshippers what is mixed from that everything that they had that was abrogated by our religion everything they invented that was never part of the religion to begin with all of it is jahiliyyah all of it is jahiliyyah even though the word jahiliyyah is normally used for the situation of the arabs before islam so all of it is jahiliyyah so we are prohibited from all of it it doesn't matter whether where it came from and it doesn't matter whether it came from the Jews or the Christians or the Magians or the Sabians, it doesn't matter whether it was it was part of their revelation before or it wasn't. As soon as the Prophet Muhammad came, everything that opposes his Sharia, wherever it came from, is, is called Jahiliyyah. Then he brings the hadith of Abdullah ibn Umar. That the Messenger of Allah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, Man fahuwa minhum. And this I'm reading from page 141. Whoever resembles a people is one of them. This hadith is one of the major evidences that we go back to in this particular issue. Whoever resembles a people is one of them. And this hadith is hadith the Sheikh speaks about the, the hadith is Sahih. He said, الحديث, he said, the least you can say about this hadith is that the hadith shows that it is prohibited to resemble the disbelievers. Even though the apparent wording of the hadith is that it's kufr. And the minimum you can say about this hadith, man minhum, the minimum you can say is that, it, that it's haram to resemble the disbelievers. <coughs> Even though the apparent meaning of the hadith is that it is Kufr, like in the statement of Allah, and whoever, whoever shows allegiance to them from you is one of them. Then he said, وَمَنْ تَبِعَ غَيْرَهُ فِي فِعْلٍ لِغَرَضٍ لَهُ فِي ذَلِكَ إِذَا كَانَ أَصْلُ الْفِعْلِ مَأْخُوذًا عَنْ ذَلِكَ الْغَيْرِ He said, whatever the situation may be, this hadith tells us that it is forbidden to resemble them just because it is resemblance. Does that make sense? And just because it's resembling them, it's forbidden. And resembling covers two people. It covers the person who does something because they do it. <coughs> and this is rare. 
and this is rare, that people do things because they do it. And it also covers the one who follows someone else in that. If their action is taken from the non-Muslims. So here he says, it doesn't matter if you are copying the Jews and Christians directly, or you're copying someone who's copying the Jews and Christians. Sheikh Ibn Taymin comments on this, he said, لَعَلَّهُ بِالنِّسْبَةِ لِزَمَنِهِ أَمَّا فِي زَمَنِنَا فَمَا أَكْثَرَ الَّذِينَ يَفْعَلُونَ مَا يَقْتَضِي التَّشَبُّهُ مِنْ أَجْلِ أَنَّهُمْ فَعَلُوا وَاللَّهُ مُسْتَعَلُ Sheikh Ibn Taymin said, in the time of Sheikh Islam, Sheikh Islam, what did he say? It's very rare that people do things because non-Muslims do them. Sheikh Ibn said that's in his time. In our time, you can't count the number of people who do something because the non-Muslims do it. <coughs> and they start to copy things because the non-Muslims do it. Why do you do it? The non-Muslims do it. That's my... Because the non-Muslims do it, that's why I do it. Whereas in the time of Sheikh al-Islam, he said, it's very rare. What we saw people doing is copying things that came from the non-Muslims. For example, let's just say we talked about the Asma wa Sifat, and the wrong beliefs in, in Allah's names and attributes that came originally from the Jews and the, and the Christians. And they're not aiming to copy the Jews and the Christians, but the reality is that their actions do copy the Jews and Christians. They're copying someone who copied the Jews and the Christians. Whereas in our time, we see worse than that. We see people who are doing things specifically because they copy the non-Muslims. And people are happy to copy the non-Muslims in as many things as, as many things as possible. And that's a terrible situation for us to be in. <coughs> There's a weak hadith the Sheikh mentions on page 147. It's a benefit I want to bring from you. The hadith is narrated by, from a Tirmidhi that the Messenger of Allah Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said The hadith is weak. He said not one of us is the one who resembles someone else, any the one who resembles someone else. Do not resemble the Jews or the Christians. The Taslim, any the 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 Taslim of the Jews is pointing with the finger. And the Taslim of the Christians is waving with the hand. And he pointing with the hand, with the palm. In this hadith he said, Hada. Shaykh al-Islam says, Hada. Wa in kana fihi da'af. This hadith has weakness in it. Faqad taqaddam al-hadith al-marfu' man tashabbaha bi qawmin. Wa huwa minhum. It's already, we've already seen the proof from the hadith. Whoever resembles a people is one of them. The reason I brought this is, I wanted to tell you about something important. Even think about the way, even the way you greet people. Even the way you greet people. Like many times we don't realize how much we take from the non-Muslims. Like think about it, even the way you greet people. And even if they talk about the salam inside of the salah or whatever. But like the way people greet people, like they take it from the Christians and the Jews. For it's better for you that you oppose them in these things. And you, and for example, 
even though we say Islam didn't bring necessarily like the Prophet the issue of putting your hand on your heart. But generally speaking, it's more associated with the Muslims than the issue of <coughs> waving with the hand. But it's better that you find something that is from the Sunnah of the Muslims in general rather than to take something that was taken from the disbelievers. On page 148, Sheikh Ibn brings a really important point. He said, في مسألة اللباس in the issue of clothing لو انقلبت الحال بأن كان المشركون في عهد رسول صلى الله عليه وسلم يلبسون لباسا معينا والمسلمون يلبسون لباسا معينا ثم انقلبت الحال فصار لباس المسلمين في عهد رسول صلى الله عليه وسلم لباس المشركين اليوم ولباس المسلمين اليوم هو لباس المشركين فيما سبق So now this issue What would happen if the clothing at the time of the Prophet ﷺ became reversed. So what the non-Muslims did at that time becomes what is known from the Muslims and what is known from the Muslims becomes what is known from the non-Muslims. The Sheikh, he said, نَقُولْ إِذًا ظَهَرَ الْفَرْقِ وَلَا بَأْسَ أَنْ يَبْقَ الْمُسْلِمُونَ الْيَوْمَ عَلَى لِبَاسِ الْمُشْرِكِينَ فِيمَا سَبَقَ he said, there is nothing wrong with the Muslims wearing something today that the mushrikeen used to wear before, as long as it's not haram in of itself. It's not allowed to wear it no matter what the circumstances are. And here, Sheikh Al-Thameen says, it doesn't matter if the non-Muslims, any if, if the non-Muslims before used to wear something different, and today they wear something different. What matters is, is it haram in of itself? If it's not haram in of itself, or the Sharia doesn't have a position on it, then you go with what is in your time. Does that make sense? If it's not, it doesn't have an Islamic ruling to it. For example, shaving the head. You'll find shaving the head mentioned as from the sifat of the khawarij. The khawarij are the people who shave the head. Shaving the head is the sign of a khawarij. That is in that time. Like in if today shaving the head is not from the signs of a khawarij, if shaving the head itself is not haram, then you don't need to concern yourself with in a particular time shaving the head was known from this person and this person. Does that make complete sense to everyone? That it doesn't matter that in the past it was a sign of this person or this person. If it's not a sign of them today and it doesn't have a shari ruling attached to it. As for al-qaza, it has a shari ruling. Shaving part of the head and leaving, you can't do it no matter what. But if it doesn't have a shari ruling to it, and the Prophet ﷺ allowed shaving the head, right? He said, He said, shave it all or leave it all? About the boy who had shaved part and left part. He said, shave it all or leave it all? So the asal is that shaving the head is permissible and letting the hair grow is permissible. But if there comes a time where shaving the head becomes known from a particular, any from Ahl al or from the non-Muslims, then at that time, don't do it. 
لكن it's not necessary for you to go to match all of history that in Imam Ahmed said for example that يعني, the people who the oppressive people used to wear for example dark colored clothing لكن it doesn't mean that we hold that it's not allowed to wear that clothing today the issue is what is in our situation today unless there's a shar'i ruling attached to it shar'i rulings are forever from the time of the prophet until today they don't change but the rulings of being similar or different from a people you know that that it simply matters يعني, on that that issue يعني. that's why here i'll point out the issue of the shoes the prophet said Pray, be different from the Jews, pray in your shoes. But people say, for example, today, the Christians pray in their shoes. They don't take their shoes off to go into the church. Like in the Prophet said, So once the Prophet said that, now it doesn't matter whether the Jews and Christians do it or not, the same as the beard. We can pray in our shoes whether the Jews and Christians pray in their shoes or don't, because the Prophet said it. But if the issue is our istimbat, it's our, we have observed that a particular religion does something. So it does, we look at what is present in our time. We don't have to match all of history unless there's a shara'i ruling or a nas with regard to it. And Allah knows best. <coughs> Likewise, men resembling women is also, Sheikh Islam brings it on, the, on page 149. And this is also something to bear in mind, even if it's outside of resembling the kuffar. But one of the things the kuffar do in general is they allow their women to resemble men and their men to resemble women. And this is prohibited. Mutlaqan, vahiran, wabatina. Inwardly and outwardly, not just in clothing. Hatta even resembling them in, inwardly is prohibited. Inwardly and outwardly. And the Prophet ﷺ cursed the women who resemble the men and the men that resemble and the men that resemble the women. Sheikh Ibn Taymin mentions, and Sheikh Islam was talking about the issue of fasting, not resembling them in issues of fasting, and he was talking about some of their ayat. On page 151, Sheikh Ibn Taymin also mentions about the issue of the calendar. And he says that all of these religions originally were told to follow the moon. They were told to follow the lunar calendar. And they were told to follow any the lunar calendar and here in the sheikh talks about and he being far away from the Jews and the Christians in this regard as we said people will then say today this the Gregorian calendar is a standard around the world but we're not saying to people don't use it because it is. it became a standard around the world and it became a haraj, like a hardship not to use it. 
لكن I advise everyone at a minimum switch the Hijri calendar on your phone. At a minimum, let the Imam, for example, in the khutbah, mention the Hijri date. At a minimum, if we make a poster, we should put the Hijri date on it and then put يعني in, يعني, uh, in, a co- or in brackets the, the يعني Gregorian date. But don't be from the people who have left the Hijri calendar behind. Wallahi, some of the Muslims don't know the, the months, the Hijri months. In our masjid, I never used to see this thing to be that big of a deal. Our imam in our masjid in Gateshead, Jazallahu khayran, Sheikh Jawhar. The Sheikh, he, started, he, he made a habit. He said, every khutbah, I announce the date, the Hijri date. So he says, this khutbah is taking place on the 3rd of Shawwal. Like, he gives the Islamic date. And he wrote the Islamic months on the wall. And I said to him, Sheikh, why are you doing it? He said, Wallahi, you don't know that most of our people don't know anything about the Hijri calendar at all. So we're not saying that no doubt people use the Gregorian calendar, and that's not an issue. But to leave our Hijri calendar, and then to replace that Hijri calendar with the Gregorian calendar, the non-Muslims calendar, until the point that we've left the Hijri calendar except for Ramadan, and then we all look in the sky and we don't know what we're looking for, because we've never, we have no idea what the moon looks like. Because the only thing we do at Ramadan is, when is Ramadan? Let somebody phone Saudi Arabia. Khwani, <laughs> Ramadan is a month of the year, 12 times a year. Inna iddata shuhuri indallahi thna ashara shahran fi kitabillahi yawma khalaqa samawati wal ard. Allah made 12 months in the year. Each one of them has the hilal that comes for it. For wouldn't it be better that we go out and look for the hilal every month? Like why, why not just as our own, like not necessarily strictly making hardship upon ourselves, but we make an effort to see the hilal and the months and to write the Islamic dates. The Islamic date has no problem with it as long as you mention the day, the actual day of the week. Even the days of the week, look at what these days of the week, the Muslim days of the week, what are they, the non-Muslim days of the week. Many of them are named after aliha, gods that were worshipped besides Allah. And yes, those names have gone now. Nobody, you know, Sunday, Monday, Thursday. Nobody, nobody believes Thursday is the day when Thor is, I don't know, worshipped or something like that. But that's where the name came from, right? The name came from shirk. So there's no issue that it became a standard in the world and whatever. And it's not, it doesn't have the shirky meaning anymore. Even the non-Muslims don't believe that you should worship Thor on a Thursday or something like that. But... Isn't it better that we teach our kids the Islamic days of the week, the Arabic names of the days of the week? You're going to see Sheikh al-Islam, he put from the greatest things that people copy the kuffar in, is in their language. And he considers it is essential that Muslims do not, are not brought up speaking a, a foreign non-Muslim language. And look at that. And you do not, like he even said, the ulama allow a few words from foreign languages to be spoken, but otherwise they don't allow someone who's brought up speaking Arabic to speak a foreign language, except for a few words, or except in the da'wah, any circumstance. This is how much they saw it. And I think this is critical because at the end of the day, how did the non-Muslims, there's two things the non-Muslims did, that really gave them immense, immense power over Muslim countries. One of them is the language. Look at the British 
in the British government, British whatever you want to call it, and in the British system, they exported their language. And they have these British councils and everything. The idea is to spread the English language and to stop people from the Arabic language. The Arabic language is a part of our deen. It's an, it's an essential part of Islam. You cannot separate Islam from the Arabic language. Even now, we are making an effort, well, a small effort, it's not a big effort, to even try to read the book in Arabic and then to explain in English. We know that most people don't know Arabic. So we explain it in English, but we read the, the text in Arabic. We have to connect our, ourselves to the Arabic language. And we have to stop using the non-Muslims' names for things that are their terminology, that often have the roots in shirkiyat. So there's nothing, I mean, why don't we get used to our, at least teach our kids the days of the week in Arabic. At least say Al-Jumu'ah, on Jumu'ah. Alhamdulillah, we still have Muslims who say on Jumu'ah, we'll meet together on Jumu'ah. And he teach people the Islamic months of the year. Put the Islamic dates on the posters. Even if we put the English dates afterwards, no problem. But it's nice for, a for us to slowly separate ourselves from these, the way that we've become, like we've even used the disbelievers language. Like even, it's sad, you go to even the, the Middle East, where Arabic is the language, and you see people speaking English, and you see people putting English terms on everything, and English words on everything. Whereas, wallahi, go to France and see what they do. They have an entire ministry dedicated to stopping the English language coming into France. And preserving the language for the French people and stopping them from getting foreign words put into their language. Like, and we opened our arms to the non-Muslims, to their language. And we allowed, not their language, alhamdulillah, learn English to speak to people, learn English to give da'wah. Like, and to learn English to make it your language and you leave the language of your religion, the language of the Qur'an, the language of the Sunnah, it caused a great evil to the Muslims. <coughs> And what caused a great evil to the Muslims as well is the spread of non-Muslim education. And there's some very good books written on this. I really want to teach this book. If I, if I can, there's a book. It's called something like Why Are the Muslims Held Back and Others Have Gone Ahead of Them? Something like that it's called. Wallah, it deserves to be taught. A huge amount of this is their monopoly on education. We stopped educating our children with the Islamic education. The Islamic education that has everything in it. It has maths in it, it has language in it, it has everything, everything a person can need is there. People say, oh, we need English because the world works in English now. And you like, for example, the you know, science and all of that. Why? Because we allowed it to. If you look back a few hundred years when Islam was dominant, yeah, everyone used Arabic words for things. That's why even some of the scientific technology, uh, or sorry, terminology that people use today, that terminology came from Arabic. Like just for example, the word algebra. They say it came from algebra. And the word, and these terms came from Arabic because people used to learn everything in Arabic. If the non-Muslims wanted to be any, anybody in the world, they had to learn Arabic. They had to speak Arabic. When we distance ourselves from the Arabic language and we put our children into the non-Muslims education system 
And I'm not saying that you can't, I mean, there's some situations you can't avoid it, but when we literally yani, left Islamic education and we put our kids into that non-Muslim system, the end result is at-tashabbuh bil kuffar. We start to resemble them in our thinking, in our behavior, in our manners, in our akhlaq, and ultimately in our ibadat and our deen. So one of the things we can do to separate ourselves from these people is to make a real effort to teach. I'm not saying, Khwani, that you never speak English again. I'm not saying your children will never learn physics or biology. Or I can make an effort to do two things. Prioritize the Arabic language over everything for your kids. Make your kids learn the Arabic language. And the second thing is, and the second thing is, prioritize Islamic education over these people, their worldly education. Not just hifth of the Quran. And he understanding the Islamic sciences, Islamic study, the study of Arabic, the study of the different sciences of Islam. Or give it priority and give it a higher status than Western education. How can it be the case that we give Western education a higher status? And if we meet someone and they say, MashaAllah, he's a, he's a talib ilm. They're like, oh, okay, yeah, my son's a doctor. <laughs> Wallahi, yani, uh, this ummah will end up ripped to pieces by the fact that, and you fear for it, being ripped to pieces by the fact that we consider the talib ilm is what you do if you can't get into medicine and you can't get into law and you can't get into engineering. Wallah, miskin, Let him learn how, let him learn knowledge. La wallahi, Islamic knowledge is higher than that. And the person of Islamic knowledge should be raised higher than that. And our aspiration for our kids, we're not saying every one of them has to be an alim or a talib ilm or a da'iyah. Like, let's start putting Islamic knowledge ahead of the knowledge of these people. And we see the knowledge of these people, if you get some knowledge that benefits the Muslims from it. But now we're going to say that Islamic knowledge is what we're going to give precedence to. <clears throat> then the Sheikh he spoke about the hardness of the heart and he being from the characteristics of Ahl Kitab page 153 he said فَمِمَّا وَلَا يَكُونُ كَالَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ مِنْ قَبْلُ فَطَالَ عَلَيْهِمُ الْأَمَدُ فَقَسَتْ قُرُوبُهُمْ Their hearts became hard. وَلَا تَكُونُ كَالَّذِينَ أُوتُوا الْكِتَابَ Don't be like the people given the book. And this is the prohibition generally, right? Don't copy the people of the book in anything. And specifically, don't copy them in hardness of the heart. And hardness of the heart is from the effects of sin. And he said, min maasi. Like the statement of Allah Azza When they broke their promise and their covenant, we cursed them and we made their hearts hard. So what I want you to take from this is two things. That the statement here is general, first of all. Do not be like the people of the book. Don't be like them in anything. 
But then it becomes what? It becomes a specific issue highlighted for you. Don't allow your hearts to become hard like theirs became hard. And theirs became hard because of sin and breaking the promise to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. going to go quite far through now the issue is very hard wallahi very very hard to any summarize the the so many benefits and the ahadith and everything in the book uh, we talked about al-wasatiyah being in the middle and we talked about the importance of being in the middle in islam this also in on page 181 the sheikh brings ta'ala the issue of the hadith about the Prophet Whoever turns away from my sunnah is not one of me. He said, You are the people who said this and that. You are the people who said this and that. And they said, What did they say? They said, we're not going to, we're going to fast every day. We're not going to have a day we don't fast. They said, we're going to pray all night. We're not going to sleep and we're not going to get married. The Prophet said, you are the people who said this and that. Wallahi, I am the person who fears Allah the most out of you and I have the most taqwa out of you. But I fast some days and I break fast other days. And I pray sometimes of the night and I sleep and I marry women. So whoever turns away from my sunnah is not one of me. And this is any, the, the explanation of balance when it comes to any ibadat. The Prophet has the best balance. And that going too far or too less is exaggeration in the religion as we spoke about. Any the ghulu of the Nasara going too far or the ghulu of the Yahud going too, doing too little. The Sheikh, he said, and he on page 184, commenting on this, لِهَذَا And he said, uh, this, in the, the bayan of this issue, and he said, الْحَادِيثُ الْمُوَافَقَ لِهَذَا كَثِيرَةٌ فِي بَيَانِ أَنَّ سُنَّتَهُ أَلَّتِي هِيَ الْإِقْتِصَادِ فِي الْعِبَادَةِ وَتَرْكَ الشَّهَوَاتِ خَيْرٌ مِنْ رَهْبَانِيَةِ النِّصَارَ أَلَّتِي هِيَ تَرْكُ عَامَّةَ الشَّهَوَاتِ he said, the Prophet explained that his sunnah, which is to be in the middle in ibadat, is better than the rahbaniyyah of the Christians. Where what did they do? They left all shahawat. And they said, like, we're not going to marry, we're not going to eat nice food, we're not going to wear nice clothes. And we're going to exaggerate in our ibadat and bring ibadat that Allah never commanded them to bring. So we're commanded to go against, you know, we're commanded to go against this. On the same page, I highlighted an issue for you. In Tabihu Lihada. Sheikh Ibn mentions it. It's on page 184. That when he speaks about as-siyaha, just be careful when you read a book that if you come across terminology you feel might be different 
that you make sure you understand what the author meant. Because siyaha here does not mean yani, tourism. You know, Sheikh Ibn said, siyaha in our time is a nuzha, yani, like to go and look at how different people are, go and enjoy. And that's our time. But what they mean here is a ta'abud, going out into the open yani, spaces for ta'abud. Like to worship any for as an act of worship. That's what they mean by a siyaha. So any in, in, be careful about terminology. You might read something. I saw some terminology and, and I, someone said to me, look, someone translated a book of Ibn al-Qayyim. They said, look, it's a very good translation. It's extremely good. And it was good. Allah the the translator did a very good job. Like from what the translator translated is that Ibn al-Qayyim talks about how the Salaf used to go for a walk after Fajr. That's not what Ibn al-Qayyim said. Like in the translator, Wallahi did a great, the translation was very good. Like in this issue I saw, what was the problem? He didn't understand the mustalah of Ibn al-Qayyim. Ibn al-Qayyim when he says as-sayr, he means worshipping Allah after Fajr, not going for a walk. That's the terminology he uses. Like in the translator, translate the Arabic. And they used to They used to go for a walk after Fajr and walk all around. All the Salaf used to go for a long walk after Fajr. Like that's not what Ibn al-Qayyim said. A sayr in, in this book which Ibn al-Qayyim uses is a sayr in Allah. And he traveling to Allah through worshipping Allah and coming near to him. So it's an easy mistake to make. Like here, it's easy for someone to say, the Salaf were against tourism. That's a separate issue, whether they're against tourism or not. But that's not what Ibn al-Qayyim is, what Ibn Taymiyyah speaks about in the book. And Shaykh Ibn Taymiyyah mentions it. He said, الْمَقْصُودُ بِالسِّيَاحَةِ عِنْدَهُمْ التَّعَبُّدِ يَنِي يَخْرُجُونَ إِلَى الْبَرِّ they go out into the wilderness believing this is a part of the religion. You need to go out into the, into, the, into the countryside as a religious belief. Not the issue of going out to see, let me go and see if those hills are nice or let me see if they have nice trees. That's a separate issue. It has its own ruling, we have to discuss it. But do you see how it could be easy to read something and you mistake the person's terminology? That's something why it's good to have an explanation from one of the mashayikh. As for the statement of the Prophet, this is the next page, page 185, uh, in which he said, wal Keep away from exaggeration in the religion. The Shaykh, he said, Every kind of exaggeration in the religion, whether it is in your aqidah or in your actions, whether it's going too far or too less, all of it is prohibited any from within the statement ihdina sirat al-mustaqim sirat alladhina an'amta alayhim ghayr al-maghdubi alayhim waladhalin and i almost reached the point that i wanted to reach almost almost from here my notes get like even more summarized and i got i got any subhanallah we'll conclude with this inshallah ta'ala for today we reach page 199, the hadith that Muslim narrates in his Sahih. And that is the, fair, the, the khutbah that the Prophet 
<coughs> gave Yawm Arafah. When he said, Inna dima'akum wa amwalakum haramun alaykum ka hurmati yawmikum hadha fi shahrikum hadha fi baladikum hadha. Indeed, your blood and your wealth is forbidden. Like the, like the sacredness of this day of yours, in this month of yours, in this town of yours. Then he said, Ala kullu shay'in min amri al-jahiliyya tahta qadamayya mawdu'a. That's the, that's the shahid that, that Sheikh Islam said. Everything that came from jahiliyya today has been wiped out. Everything that, that came from jahiliyya that isn't from the religion of Islam, and he talked about the riba of jahiliyya, he talked about the blood, yani the claims of blood from jahiliyya, all of it, and all of it is expired today. This long hadith, the hadith of this in khutbah, the sheikh, he brings it with regard to the issue of the fact that, and he said, وَهَذَا يَدْخُلُ فِيهِ مَا كَانُوا عَلَيْهِ مِنَ الْعَادَاتِ وَالْعِبَادَاتِ All of the habits of jahiliyyah, the behaviors, the customs, and the worship they did, all of it is invalidated in Islam. All of it is invalidated in Islam except what the Sharia specifically kept. So we don't look back and say this is what the people used to do in the time of Jahiliyyah. Either if Islam confirmed it and affirmed it, then we stick to it. Otherwise, everything from Jahiliyyah is wiped out. Whether it is i'tiqadat or a'mal or adat, aqidah, actions or even customs. All of it expired with that statement of the Prophet wasallam that everything from the time of Jahiliyyah has now been put under my feet and it is, it is no longer valid. For this also is a part of when we ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the Sirat al-Mustaqeem to distance ourselves from what the people were upon in Al-Jahiliyyah even from there, even from their adat. Likewise, and we can also bring in, this is page 219, just to get a bit ahead, the issue of the Adhan. You remember the story of how the Adhan was legislated. It also has the issue of Mukhalafat al-Yahud wa Nasara. They suggested in the beginning, with regard to the Adhan, they said to the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, يعني فذكروا له القنع يعني شبور يهود they said why don't you use the horn to, to bring the people to the salah فلم يعجبه ذلك the Prophet didn't like it he said هو من أمر اليهود the Jews they, they use the horn to bring the people to the salah فذكر له الناقوس the bell was mentioned فقال هو من فعل النصارى the Christians use a bell Until that, any the words of the adhan that were, any the words that were of the adhan that were that were mentioned. So here, look at how the Prophet ﷺ instantly rejected the use of the horn and the bell because they were from the actions of the Jews and the Christians. And we as Muslims were given that which is better, and the Prophet ﷺ said, "Ya Bilal, qum." Fanadi bis salah. O Bilal, stand up and give the call to prayer for the salah. So even the adhan, 
is a reminder of being different from the Jews and the Christians. I think that's a good place, inshallah ta'ala, for us to stop because tomorrow we have a big discussion, which is the issue of ijma'. Because he's, we've spoken about Quran and Sunnah, right? We've given significant evidences from the Quran and Sunnah about mukhalafat ashab al-jaheem, being different from the people of Jahannam. On page 230, which is where we're going to start, inshallah ta'ala, I'm going to just highlight it also. We're going to start, inshallah ta'ala, tomorrow. The Shaykh's going to speak about the ijma', consensus, and athar of the Sahaba and the Tabi'een, and what they used to see about being different. So if anyone says maybe that you misunderstood, it could be said that you know you, you people or that Shaykh al-Islam misunderstood these ayat and hadith. He's taken them in a way that the, and it, they weren't taken. Now he's going to bring the evidence that the Salaf al-Salih, all of them were unanimous upon this issue. And then after that, I've highlighted certain key points that I want you to pay attention to, inshallah ta'ala. So we, I'm quite confident we'll finish our key points tomorrow, bi'ithnillah ta'ala. Like I said, I, was, I, wish, I wish we could read the whole book together. Maybe for Al-Madrasatul Umariyah, we can read the whole book together because we have more time to just film it, you know, book by... Because it would have taken, I mean... And if we said we could cover about 10 pages in an hour, and it's 800 pages, and so it would, it would take like many, many hours to go through every single point that is mentioned. But I hope by now you have a good feeling for the book. And even if I didn't mention something that is mentioned in the book, you would be able to understand it because you would say, yeah, I understand that is mentioned because it's true that that is a type of resemblance of the kuffar and things like that. Also tomorrow, I'm going to bring you at the end a khulasa about the rulings of resembling the kuffar. When is it obligatory to be different? When is it recommended? And things like that. Because there are issues that we don't want people to make hardship for yourself, right? In issues like someone says, sometimes they could make any too much hardship upon themselves. But it is important to learn the rules of it. So we'll conclude tomorrow as well with a summary of the fiqh of resembling the non-Muslims. Any when is it wajib upon you? <coughs> when are there issues that are permissible? When are the issues recommended? But if we understood the qa'ida, al-azimah, the great principle that is that this religion, one of its core purposes is to be different from the non-Muslims. A lot of what we do, we can see it in light of that. Sheikh Nathamim mentioned a benefit, which I really liked. He said there's a difference between what you do for, and we'll probably read it tomorrow, inshallah. There's a difference between what you do out of al-wara' wal and what you do out of the command of the Prophet In the command of the Prophet you can't go out of it. Like you might leave certain things out of caution. You might leave certain things out of, out of worry. Like, I don't want to be like these people, so you know what it is? I'm not going to wear this stuff. Or I'm not going to do this. Or I'm not going to behave in this way. Or I'm not going to do this particular thing. Out of caution. That also has is praiseworthy. Wallahi, it's very praiseworthy in the religion to leave certain things that you're not sure about or not confident in out of caution. Because this is one of the great principles of the religion, that our religion... We ask Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala every single day to put us on the path of the prophets and the righteous and to keep us away from the path of those that Allah's anger is upon and those who are astray, being the Jews and Christians and all the other religions in the world and those people who are from the people of Jahannam. 
So we ask Allah to keep us away from that. So it's very important when we understood this core principle that you apply that principle in general, but then also you learn the fiqh of it specifically so that you know the situations where it is absolutely forbidden and you know situations where there might be some degree of any leniency, like Sheikh Nathimeen said, in a country where all the Muslims wear, let's say, a clothing, which in one country is considered to be from the kuffar, like in that other country, it's the norm for people to wear that clothing. So, for example, someone might say, am I allowed to wear, like, say, shirt and trousers? And I might ask them, what country are you in? And right? it could be different. I'm not saying it could be maybe shirt and trousers is generic for everybody. Like, and it could be different depending on the country. If you're in a country where that's not, nobody wears that except the non-Muslims, it's a different situation. But if you're in a country where it became general for everybody, <coughs> and the Muslims wear it, and it's not considered to be a characteristic of the non-Muslims, so that has its own ruling. We try to cover that in detail tomorrow, inshallah ta'ala.